after that uh, worship this morning, uh, during the worship this morning, uh, I was very much reminded that um, for a hundred years or so, maybe less, I certainly wasn't here the whole time, but uh, the pulpit out here used to have written, so only the preacher could see it, uh, Sir, we would see Jesus. Sometimes, I'm not thinking of Ben, I'm thinking of me, sometimes the preacher can get in the way of us um, doing what Beck uh, led us in worship this morning to, to do, and that is just to, to see Jesus, to see him as the prize. So I'm going to pray a prayer of protection against you uh, that I indeed might just offer um, uh, the words of Jesus and all that that means. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have never left us alone. While Jesus walked on earth, we beheld him. We saw him. And when he went to heaven, you left with us the Holy Spirit ever present. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and habitate. Come to our minds. And if our minds oppose you, bypass them, Lord, and go to our hearts. Settle our hearts this morning that we might hear what Jesus says, that we might understand clearly the word of God and the wisdom of God, which is Christ Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. That's the scripture that Ben in his wisdom has given me. It's an interesting word, a wisdom, because we are looking at Galatians, a letter written by Paul to say to the Galatian church, wise up. Um, you're not being wise. Wisdom comes to us in the word of God, foolishness to this world. The message of the cross is just completely ridiculous. In fact, more than that, it's offensive. It's a message of hate, that's what they call it these days. But it's the message of salvation. It's the message of freedom. It's the message of life. It's the message that will never change and never fade. Wisdom comes... I put these two things down. Two things strike me when something is said that is wise. It comes from um, an authentic voice. You know, it's a voice that doesn't have an agenda behind what they're saying. It comes from a voice that often comes through suffering, more often than not. Um, it has clarity with the listener because of the person that's saying it. That's what I've seen about wisdom. That's why grandmas and grandpas, you're so important. So important. If I ask my kids at school, who are the wisest people? Who are the people that can speak to you and you will listen? More often than not, it's a grandma and a grandpa. Maybe mum, maybe dad. Why? Because their voice is authentic. It's a voice of love. And the second thing about wisdom, in my estimation, as it comes to you and to me, it always comes simply. It's clear. 
Now, if I something, say something and you don't understand it, yeah, that's not wisdom to you. But if something is said and it hits you, boom, right on the point, and you can take that word and it just fits in your experience or it affirms, it just comes as a really simple word more often than not. It's just clear. It's simple. The word of God is all of that. The problem that me and Galatians have, the church in Galatians have, is we're prone to complicate it. We should nurture the wisdom of God. But it's funny, it's like our gardens. The weeds grow up all by themselves and just take over. We have to nurture the word that comes to us, that wise word that comes to us. And more often than not, we complicate it. Wisdom can come from many sources, unlikely sources. I'm about to show a five-minute, I've cut it right down, a five-minute video that I show my students at school. We call the topic, I called the topic, Life Journey. Your journeys of life um, is going to come to many forks in the road. Who are you going to listen to? Which way are you going to go? And this particular man gave a message to business graduates in the US. His name is Rick Risby. I hadn't really heard of him until I saw this. Um, it resonates, it's simple, it's clear, it's entertaining, but don't get caught up in the entertainment. Catch at least the two wise things that he says. Thank you, my trusty assistant. Wisest person I ever met in my life. A third grade dropout. Third grade and dropout. That third grade dropout, the wisest person I ever met in my life, who taught me to combine knowledge and wisdom to make an impact, was my father. A simple cook. Wisest man I ever met in my life. Just a simple cook. Left school in the third grade to help out on the family farm, but just because he left school doesn't mean his education stopped. Mark Twain once said, I've never allowed my schooling to get in the way of my education. My father taught himself how to read, taught himself how to write, decided in the midst of Jim Crowism, as America was breathing the last gasp of the Civil War, my father decided he was going to stand and be a man. Not a black man, not a brown man, not a white man, but a man. He literally challenged himself to be the best that he could all the days of his life. I have four degrees. My brother is a judge. We're not the smartest ones in our family. It's a third grade dropout daddy. Uh, a third grade dropout daddy who was quoting Michelangelo, saying to us, boys, I won't have a problem if you aim high and miss, but I'm gonna have a real issue if you aim low and hit. Uh, a country mother quoting Henry Ford, saying if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. I learned that from a third grade drop. Simple lessons, lessons like these. Son, you'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. We never knew what time it was at my house because the clocks were always ahead. My mother said for nearly 30 years, my father left the house at 3.45 in the morning. One day she asked him, why, Daddy? He said, maybe one of my boys will catch me in the act of excellence. I want to share two things with you. Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Don't ever forget that. I know you're tough, but always remember to be kind. Always. Don't ever forget that. Never embarrass Mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If Daddy ain't happy, don't nobody care. But, you know, I'm trying to tell you. Next lesson. 
lesson from a cook over there in the galley. Son, make sure your servant's towel is bigger than your ego. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Y'all might have a relative in mind you want to send that to. Let me say it again. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Pride is the burden of a foolish person. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA for a living, but his calling was to impact people. And with all those national championships, guess what he was found doing in the middle of the week? Going into the cupboard, grabbing a broom, and sweeping his own gym floor. You want to make an impact? Find your broom. Every day of your life, you find your broom. You grow your influence that way. That way you're attracting people so that you can impact them. Final lesson. Son, if you're going to do a job, do it right. Let me close with a very personal story that I think will bring all this into focus. Wisdom will come to you in the unlikeliest of sources, a lot of times through failure. When you hit rock bottom, remember this. While you're struggling, rock bottom can also be a great foundation on which to build and on which to grow. I'm not worried that you'll be successful. I'm worried that you won't fail from time to time. Person that gets up off the canvas and keeps growing, that's the person that will continue to grow their influence. Back in the 70s, to help me make this point, let me introduce you to someone. I met the finest woman I'd ever met in my life. We go together for a year, two years, three years, four years. By now, Trina's a senior in college. I'm still a freshman, but I'm working some things out. I'm so glad I graduated in four terms. Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. So now it's, it's, it's time to propose. So I talk to her girlfriends and it's California. It's in the 70s, so it has to be outside. You have to have a candle and you have to have, you know, some chocolate. Listen, I'm from the hood. I had a bottle of Boone's Farm wine. That's what I had. She said yes. That was the key. I married the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Y'all ever been to a wedding? And even before the wedding starts, you hear this. How in the world? And it was coming from my side of the family. We get married. We have a few children. Our lives are great. One day, Trina finds a lump in her left breast. Breast cancer. Six years after that diagnosis, me and my two little boys walked up to mommy's casket. And for two years, my heart didn't beat. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I, I wouldn't be standing here today. If it wasn't for those two little boys, there'd have been no reason for which to go on. I was completely lost. That was rock bottom. You know what sustained me? The wisdom of a third grade dropout. The wisdom of a simple cook. We're at the casket. I'd never seen my dad cry. But this time I saw my dad cry. That was his daughter. Trina was his daughter, not his daughter-in-law. And I'm right behind my father about to see her for the last time on this earth. And my father shared three words with me that changed my life right there at the casket. It would be the last lesson he would ever teach me. He said, son, just stand. You keep standing. You keep standing, no matter how rough the sea, you keep standing. And I'm not talking about just water. You keep standing. No matter what, you don't give up. And as clearly as I'm talking to you today, 
These were some of her last words to me. She looked me in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters to me most is how I live. I ask y'all one question, a question that I was asked all my life by a third grade dropout. How you living? How you living? Every You know, pretty much Paul says the same thing in Galatians. He just says, how you living? And he also says in the first verse that we're going to have from my trusty assistant, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. That was his word from his father, just stand. Then And don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. There are two ways to live. I mean, the world wants to complicate it and says there's many ways to live. But there are only two ways to live out your life. One is to live out your life under what we call the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. The law goes like this. You sin, you die. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all die. We're under this law that is immutable. Immutable means it never changes. It never stops. You can hate that law, but that doesn't make it stop. You could climb up into the roof and pull that grate out and you can say, I hate the law of gravity. That's another immutable law on earth. And you can jump and land flat on your back and it's going to hurt you and the law has not changed. Just hating the law doesn't remove the law. The world hates the law of sin and death. That's why it hates the cross. Because it says, if I sin, I'm going to be separated from God forever, which is death. That's one way to live your life, under the law of sin and death. There is one other way to live out your life, just one. The law is not removed. There is still sin, and the result is still death. But someone's taken taken your death. Someone died for you. You live in a world where you and I still sin. And the result of that is to be put in prison. I'm captive to sin. I'm captive to separation from God. Done and dusted. It's an immutable law. But the other way to live is Yes, I have sinned. But Jesus died on that cross for my sin. I'm free. It's called freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's not a church. It's not a theological position. It's not some secret wisdom that's been passed on through the ages. It is Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then in that. Don't go back to the law of sin and death and to live in that life. Live in the life that is free. It's called grace. Now, Warwick, I don't know if Warwick's here, he preached it a couple of weeks ago. We've preached grace, actually, for weeks because it's what Galatians is all about. Grace is completely undeserved. You and I, Christ has died for us. Died for me. Not when I got my act together, but when I shook my fist at God and I ran faster away from him than I possibly could, it's at that point Jesus dies for me. Question is, he died for my sin, to take my sin away. I'm free. Eternal life. Question is, why did Jesus die for me? Pretty easy answer. It's the wisdom of God to this world. For God so loved the world. God loves me. I learned quite some time ago that if you want to give a child power to live, to really live, and to be free to live, love them. Just love them. Love is a powerful, powerful force. Now, we all have different people in our lives that provide the wisdom that we need. My mum, she's going to probably get a mention in every sermon I ever preach to my dying day. She's going to get a couple today. One in particular is that I was going through her stuff as I've done in the last three months, um, opening up folders, blowing the dust off. And I found this amazing article. It was a newspaper article. She did show me, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. I remember seeing it. But my mum kept it. She wrote some notes on it. And why would she keep it? Because it was supposed to influence and grow and affect other people somehow, that story. You know, quickly, the story was, beautiful boy was born. This beautiful boy got sick. This beautiful boy got horrific condition whereby his whole body shut down and everyone just thought he was a vegetable. Until one day, somehow it happened, I'm not telling you the whole story, people realised, his mother first realised that he was completely understanding of what was going on in his world. He could move his fingers and he could type. And he could say, hello, mum. And he, could, he wrote a book before the age of 18. He died at the age of 18. Amazing story. His mother used to look after him. She couldn't even go to the toilet without him sitting on her lap. They were on their own. Mother was amazing. At the end of this article, this is why mum kept it, the article said, quoting the boy who was writing on the computer, he says, I'm the luckiest boy in the world because I have been loved. The grace of God is freely given to you and me because we've been loved. I can choose to live 
in slavery, in the bondage of my sin and the result of that, or I can choose to stand in the grace that God has given me in Christ Jesus. I want to just read a bit more of Galatians. Paul says, Mark my words. I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He doesn't say little value. He says no value. That's pretty big. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to go back to that other life and whereby you have to obey the whole law. And who can do it? You are trying to be justified by the law. No, you are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. That's a big statement. You have fallen away from grace. We know, we've been told over the past few weeks, the battle that was going on in this church. This church had come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the speaker spoke, it was the words of Christ. And people were wholly being nurtured by the message of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that says God loves me so much that he died for my sin and I'll live in the freedom of that. A glorious freedom. And people have come to this church in Galatians and said, yeah, that's all true, but if you really want to be on the high plane, you're Jews, you need to be circumcised. Confusing and complicating the simple message of the gospel. The problem was, like weeds, we have a habit of seeing weeds just grow wild. And if it's not circumcision, it's something else. You know, you don't have to look at the church, even the church that exists today, to see that we jump on a bandwagon and we say, really, if you want to be, yes, Jesus Christ, all one in Christ Jesus, but do you use that Bible and do you use those songs? And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. The weeds just grow and grow and grow. But the simple message is stand firm in the grace in the love of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for your sins. Stand firm on that. If you add anything, and the list goes on, you'll alienate yourself from Christ. If you add anything, this walk with God will be of no value. It's pretty, pretty straight talk. So I might say to you, a bit like Rick Risby, how are you going with it? How are you living? By grace? Or do you do add-ons? I'm sure we all do add-ons in some way. Probably we do. How do you measure that? How do you know? Well, the next verse is pretty, pretty important. It says, well, let's go to verse 5. For though the Spirit we, through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Our righteousness is in Jesus, not in our righteous acts. Not in coming to church this Sunday. Not in reading our Bible religiously. Our righteousness is in what Jesus has accomplished for us 
on that cross. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. Don't be hijacked. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So I've put it in red. You know, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about mum again. When I became a Christian, I hate to say it, but I got a lot of publicity because I was a footballer. Within a very short time, I was speaking, being asked to speak, and I felt God say, do it. Hundreds of different places, all over the state, in the city, and in the country. And I don't know if I could say I was doing pretty good, but it was, seemed to be going pretty good. I'd keep getting another one, and another one, and another one. Um, it wasn't completely easy, but it was exciting times. And I would preach in this church every two weeks, three weeks. It was good. My mum got one of the girls in the Sunday school to write that verse. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And this young girl had a bit of calligraphy going on in her life. She could do it fancy. Mum got her to write that verse. Mum laminated it. And mum gave it to me. Now, she did that knowingly. I received it dumbly. She knew what she was doing. I only worked this out years ago, after it happened. Years after it happened. I thought, wow, is that what this was all about? I put it slap bang in front on my desk where I looked at my sermons. And I was doing my work. And I used to look at it constantly. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. My mum would have never, ever said it, but she was giving me simple advice, simple wisdom that says, Jim, it's got nothing to do with you traversing the state and speaking. It's got nothing to do other than standing in the grace of Jesus Christ and all that you do is faith in what he's done for you which you express through love. She must have seen some pretty sharp edges on me. Because if I look back on that, now I can see those sharp edges myself. But it was wisdom to me. So you want to measure. You want to measure on what, how your life is being lived right now. That's a simple, simple measure. I invite you to apply it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, trusty assistant, says you were running a good race. I mean, grace, grace is grace. I think at the start it's huge amounts of grace. I think it's always there, but the question is, what happened? Who cut in on you from keep, keeping you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls. It says a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Yeast is interesting. You don't really see it as a big product. It doesn't come into the recipe like a big lot. It's just a little bit. Almost unseen, but the result of it is indeed very much seen. So, 
I'm wondering how come I'm finding this preaching so hard. Not today so much as I've been doing it a few years and I was starting to get really tired and maybe anxious. And I was actually feeling criticism. When it came to me, it hurt. I thought I could just do it for God. And none of it would hurt. A man sat down with me one day. He said, how are you going? How's it been going? How are you living? He was a man that I, I trusted. And as I said, I'm actually finding this pretty hard. I didn't tell anyone else. Can't, I didn't know the man really that well before it. But I hadn't really shared it with anyone else. I said, I'm finding this pretty hard. I go to a place and I speak and one person stands up or no one stands up and I feel like I failed. That's what I told him. And he said, if a hundred people stood up, would you take the credit? I said, no, it's Jesus. So he said, don't take the blame. It made sense to me. And as he spoke to me, he said, how have you lived your life? He knew I was a footballer. He said, how did you, you go with your sport? I said, I didn't actually enjoy it that much. I did as a kid, but once I was playing at a level where you were scrutinised, I can't understand how the AFL players actually survive. They, they're talking about mental health problems. I reckon 95% of them would have genuine mental health problems. Because every time they get on the ground, they are... It's performance-based. They wake up in the morning and they see the paper that says, you're a useless hack. Or they go to the TV and you can find 10 different programs to tell you that you're a useless hack. They'll pick up the bit where the one time you didn't go for the ball makes look looks like you're scared. So my life, in a micro way, because it wasn't quite like that, um, was based around performance. If you didn't perform, you got dropped. If you didn't perform, the newspapers would say so. So what drove me was the fear of failure. And that just wears you out. It gives you no joy. It does for a moment if you win the game, but it's a sense of relief. It's not a sense of, it's another week's got to happen. And it goes on and on. And the guy I spoke to said, he said, Jim, I reckon you're suffering from the fear of failure. You're suffering from performance. It made complete sense to me. I've been living that life in the sports world and as a teacher and even as a dad and a husband. Do you know what Rick said? He said, make sure those moments of excellence aren't an act but they're actually a habit. I tell you, if you do it in your own strength, it will always be an act. If you do it in the grace of God, and I'm finding that, unbelievably, it becomes a habit. If the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love, is the way you deal with all situations. It's not an act any longer. It has to become a habit. So I got 
beat up quite badly in Christian ministry. Because when someone said, I reckon what you said is wrong, I'd act and say, okay, that's cool, man. And I'd go home and make that picture and get that dark. It's the way I was operating. I was adding on, this bit about ministry was the add-on. Yeah, I was wanting to minister because Jesus said, go out and tell your story and let others know that there's freedom. But in the midst of that, the yeast that worked its way into my life was the same old stuff where I had to perform. I had to make the grade. I had to fill the house. Just get tired. And you get cranky. And then you get the good people are there and the people, I'll just say... You know, the act too. So how, how was I living? I need to be challenged. I needed a mum to say, come on, it's about faith and love. I'll finish with a couple of stories. I don't want to finish up. I will finish up with the last bit he says there. That's a pretty tough word. And I want to finish there, but I can remember at Norwood High School, I went there, there was a Noel Cup, 1,500 metres, and I wanted to win, so I went and trained it every morning. Before the Noel Cup, the whole, the whole uh, school would watch, it was four laps around the, the oval, and although I, I wasn't a strong runner, I trained really hard for it. When the race began... There was 15 or so in us. I went straight to the front and I led as I wished to do. You want to be a leader? Everyone following you. Well, that was what I was doing. I set the pace and I ran out the first lap. And when I got to halfway through the second lap, I was thinking, this is going pretty well. I could not believe how fast the guy behind me went past me. I, it shocked me to the core. And he just kept going, Forrest Gump style. He was just going, and it never stopped. But it wasn't he that really worried me. It was the second guy, the third guy, the fourth guy. And I was telling the story to Tim this morning. I said, I only beat one person, and that person gave up. <laughs> My legs were so heavy. I had gone out too hard. I got caught up in the moment and, you know, I'm not going to give you an exercise physiology lesson, but I lactated big time. Lactic acid just gripped me like cement and I was the plotter. They called me the plotter after that. Oh, it was embarrassing, mortifying. Don't go out too hard. Stand in the grace. It doesn't say sprint in the grace. It says stand in the grace. I tell from that experience, I always tell kids, we run across country at our school every year. Kids, I mean we're talking seven hundred kids have to run three and a bit kilometers. Not everyone's built to run. Not everyone's ready to run. And those that say I don't want to do it, I say you've got to do it. Good for your character. When they stop crying, they do it. <laughs> but I always give them the same advice. I say the tortoise and the hare. Now, 
I'm saying that now, I'm seeing everyone going like this. They've got no idea what you're talking about. The hare starts the race, boom, flat out, overconfident, sits down. Overconfident. I don't know if that's the right word here, but pretty sure in your abilities. Thinks you can rest. He does, the tortoise. Just stays firm. Stays steady. Just stands. Hare wakes up. He's behind. Sprints in front. Has a rest. Tortoise just keeps going. You know the story. The tortoise wins the race. So I'd say to the kids, start at a pace that you own. Not a pace that you think, wow, I wonder what's going to happen here. Stand in the grace that you know. God loves you. Whether you're on a mountaintop or in a valley, stand in the grace that you know. You know that God loves you. So let's work with this to finish this last bit. So I've read a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I've given you my story. I don't know your story, but I do know yeast is real. Jesus talked about it quite a few times. He says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. He's saying, I'm confident that you will hear this message. It's grace. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Fancy being given that as a text to preach. How do I say this? If there is a fire that has just started and it has sprung down here, I'm not going to say, hey guys, we've got a fire. Just when you get a chance and it seems the right time and you feel like it, I think you should exit. <laughs> There's a crisis going on. It's critical. You will hear fire. Run! And I look at the strength of Paul's words, a bit like that Rick when he said, just stand. Where did that come from? He's a beautiful Christian man, that one. But he looked at those graduates and he said, just stand. He said it with passion because it matters. And Paul hasn't just written a letter because he had nothing to do on a Sunday afternoon. He's saying, this really matters. It matters for your church. It matters for the souls that make up your church. We stand in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and none other. Do you know, grace started this race of grace. Yeah, grace race. We started with it at the start when we believed that Jesus Christ died for my sin. We're sustained in that race. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it's there and often it's there. But the grace is there. Though the immutable law of sin and death is all around us and sin comes into our lives, we 
have been made free, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And lastly, that grace is going to be there at the finish line. It's there, waiting for us. Bless him. Thank you.